0: Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com.
1: We're going to be in First Corinthians chapter fourteen today. So go ahead and, and turn in your Bibles there, and and I'm going to pray just to kick us off this morning. Lord, we thank you for your Word, God. That that song just just is just filling me up today. That that our praises just fill this temple, Lord. We want to lift you high. Lord, let our praises fill this temple, God, as we honor you. Lord, we know that your presence and power is here to change us in ways that we could never do in our own strength. Lord, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for what you're going to do through your word today in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Before we get going, I've got a five-minute video clip from something somebody sent me this week that kind of sets up where I want to talk about and and what I want to talk about. We're going to be talking about uh, some spiritual gifts today. We're going to be talking about the spiritual gifts of prophecy and of of speaking in tongues. We'll we'll heavy more on the prophecy side. Uh, To set that up, I'm just going to watch this quick clip, uh, five minutes, and then I'll jump into the message. Go ahead and roll it.
0: Through the church, you develop Christ-like character, but let me add a caveat, but through conflicts. You develop Christ like character through conflicts. The Bible says this in Proverbs twenty seven, seventeen. This is a very important scripture as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In other words, God has ordained the church to be imperfect. How many of you know there's no perfect church? <laughs> the saying goes, you know, if you find a perfect church, it won't be perfect when you find it because you're there, right? Because we're all imperfect people. We're imperfect. God has ordained it for us to work that way. And as a pastor of 36 years, 37 years, you know, I've had people come up to me and said, I've been so hurt in the church. Well, who hasn't? Join the club. All of us have been hurt in the church. Because here's the point. God allows the church with people who are imperfect, and someone calls them irregular people. How many of you know there are people that you're, you can love, but you don't like? <laughs> They're just in your life. They're just like sandpaper in your life. They rub you the wrong way. But he ordains that to happen for you to to develop Christ like character, to become more Christ like. And what I see happening is, is that most people will just check out. If someone, you know, if they don't like the pastor or something happens and they get in a fight with someone in the church, easy way out is why I'm leaving that church. I'll just go somewhere else. But here's what happens when you go to the next church, guess what God sets up? He sets up another, a regular person to come into your life. Another person with the same kind of sandpaper effect. And it happens over and over again because his main point is not getting rid of the circumstances, but changing you. He wants to transform you into his image and he's committed to doing that. And so until you pass the test, you gotta go around the wilderness. How many of you know the Israelites went around the wilderness for 40 years? Because they didn't pass the test. Now God will never flunk you. You just have to take the test over and over again. And so here's the point I want to say: is just rejoice when God puts you in a situation. Rejoice and count it all joy when he, you encounter various trials, because He's developing character. Now, does He move you on? Yeah, He does move you on. I'll never forget 1987. I was pastoring another church in the city, and I wanted to resign and um but i wanted to get counsel i talked to my wife about it and uh, we came to a place where there were around 10 major issues theological issues where i disagreed with the movement i was part of including women in leadership eschatology uh, reform uh, calvinistic uh, uh, theology versus more wesleyan which is more my background and and so i had a list so but i went to bobby clinton my professor i was working on my mdiv at that time and i just asked him if I could have an appointment with him. And um, he said, sure. And when I met with him, he just asked me a number of questions. He was just listening to me just dump my issues concerning why I disagreed and why I need to leave. All good reasons, I thought. But he asked me this one question and he said, uh, did Jesus speak to you to leave the church, to leave the movement? I said, what do you mean? Has he given you a prophetic word to move on? I said, no. Did he give you a prophetic movement to join? And I said, yeah, he did. Because I remember the circumstances, the prophetic guidance of being part of the movement. Then he said, the principle says, until you hear a clear word to move on, don't. Because God's doing something in your life. Now, I didn't like that counsel at all. (laughs) You know, I just said, yeah, well, you know, because I had all these justifications. But you know what? I want to be teachable. And I just said, okay. I ended up staying for another almost seven years. Because God was developing character in my life. He was dealing with pride in my life and, and uh, issues of authority in my life. And I remember, finally, Sue gets a word that we're to resign. And she gets it first. And because she's one of the most loyal persons, and you would never think that she would be the one. Because more women are more stable, and guys are more impatient, and they wanna, they're they a little bit more ambitious, and they want to just get out there and do their own thing. But Sue gets a word... And then the next month, Sidney Jacobs calls me and prophesies without knowing anything. I hadn't told anyone. She said, you're to leave, and, and um, it's going to be hard, but God's going to give you grace. And it just blows me away, this prophetic word, to confirm that. And I thank God we obeyed at that time because he set us up for this church. Revival breaks out a few months later in 94. And uh, I was not pastoring at that time. I was itinerating for that period. And then God spoke to us to start H-Rock in our home, April of 1994, and here we are as a result of that.
1: All right, so that kind of sets up what I want to talk about today. Uh, I don't want to talk about churches and all that type of stuff, but there's a couple of things in that video that we just saw that I do want to talk about that. And that is this, that one, there are sometimes people in our lives... That we don't necessarily that, that we have to love but we don't like. How many of you guys have some of those in your life? We all have some of those. And because we we love them but we don't necessarily like them, sometimes we don't always listen to them. And there's also the second point in the video is is this that we need to hear from God. Instead of just living our lives. And that God has ordained some certain things, and these spiritual gifts we're going to talk about today is all about listening to God's voice in real time. Is there anybody here who still believes that God really speaks today? Okay, He speaks through His Word, but He also speaks directly to us. It never contradicts His Word, but He speaks directly to us. And we need to have ears that hear. How many of you guys have ever had to retake that test before that he talked about? I've got my hands up. I've had to retake the test where you keep going around and around and God wants to speak something to you, maybe through somebody else. But here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds him up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that all the church so that the church may be built up. So here we have a topic of, of tongues in, in the church and of prophecy in the church. And if you don't know what those things are, we'll walk through it a little bit. I won't be able to deal with every single issue in this chapter. If you have more questions, feel free to shoot me an email. I'd love to, to be able to, to share about each and every point, but it's a long chapter and a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, the point I want you to get this morning is this, that God wants to speak to his people through his people. He wants to speak to you, sure. He wants you to speak to you through the word, yes. But he also wants to use other people around you in church settings like this, where we've had prophetic words, and there are even times in a message where I may speak something prophetically. We'll talk about what that looks like in a little bit. But there's also times in your own life where God may use someone, and he'll speak something to them that's for you. And he does this because he wants us to be a community of people, a body of people, a family together. He doesn't want us to live isolated island lives, individualistic Christian lives. He wants us to live connected. And so sometimes God may give you your answer through someone else. And he chooses not to give it to you, but to confirm it in you once it's said. And that's what we're talking about here with this gift of prophecy. But how many of you guys have ever had trouble with the package God sends you sometimes? I mean the person. Anybody ever had trouble? Because sometimes when you get into this stuff we're going to be talking about today, the packages start looking a little bit funnier, right? And so we have trouble dealing with this. Um, But I just want you to know that when you're in the body of Christ, God can use anybody. God can use any person, any time that he chooses to. And it's not dependent upon what your parameters are. Years ago, uh, we were down to one vehicle. We had one vehicle, and so I'm I'm thinking, okay, we got to buy another vehicle because how many guys have larger families, and it's hard just with one vehicle, isn't it? How many guys you're just by yourself, and it's hard with one vehicle these days. It just is. So we have five kids, a large family, and we had one vehicle, and you're trying to navigate all this and trying to come up with algorithms for how it's going to be used in the vehicle. And so I was thinking, this is a great opportunity for us to get another vehicle, only I started as just a guy, I started thinking, well, what if that vehicle you know, was really a gas saver and really just uh, you know, was, was you know, really practical? Uh, and I started to sell this idea to my wife that what if I got a motorcycle, you know? because this would save money. I've got I found a cheap one it's a thousand bucks online I found a cheap one I just mainly go around town anyway and so this would be a great solution to our problem so uh, somehow I talked her into this and I, I bought this this uh, motorcycle it had a bad front tire a bad wheel and so I would never go over 40 miles an hour <laughs> so I would just putt around but it looked good you know so I just drive around and, and I, as, I, as I discovered this uh, this driving around town all of a sudden how of you guys have a motorcycle ever ridden a motorcycle? Let me just see your hand. All right, how many of you guys want to, but your wife won't let you? Uh, Okay, just just trying to figure out who I'm speaking to this morning. So I started to drive this motorcycle, ride this motorcycle around town, and I started to notice something. And some of you people who've ridden motorcycles, you know what I'm saying, because I didn't know this existed before. And I don't know if it's a secret I'm not supposed to share or what, but as I'm riding, all of a sudden, I pass somebody else on another motorcycle, and what happens? Some of you guys, yeah, how many of you guys, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah, you got, you got this little motorcycle club wave going on. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Just see. All right. just And I didn't know. This was like a secret little society that I didn't know. And I was reminded of this last night as I was driving home from a place, and I saw I was behind a motorcycle, and and there we are on the highway, and there's this guy on the motorcycle, and somebody else coming right at him, and both of them do the wave. And so, not the wave, but this little wave. And there was this, and it was just something they shared. And what I noticed over the months that I actually owned a motorcycle, which I do not own one now, by the way, uh, because I thought it was a great idea, but then there's rain and snow and, yeah, all these things and a wife and stuff. So, um, but what I noticed during that time, even though I had a small bike, it didn't matter if you had a big old Harley or if you had a moped even. Everybody got in on the wave. Everybody did. Here's what a picture of the body of Christ is. I know, it's stupid, but it's, it's what I got out of it. That it doesn't matter if you're a Harley or you're a moped. Everyone gets to participate. It doesn't matter the package. And so sometimes we tend to limit certain spiritual activities to certain people. God never does that. God doesn't do that. Just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't make you spiritually mature. But God, at the same time, he's no respecter of persons, and he He will work with anybody who says yes. And so uh, there's a great example in the Old Testament. I want to go to the Old Testament and spend just a little bit of time there. I could literally preach for three hours today. I'm not going to do that uh, to you, but I could. Uh, So uh, there's a story in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 23. Two, if, if you want to go there, you can. I'm, going to, I'm not going to put it up on the screen for you. I didn't give them the notes today for that. But there's this guy named Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 in, in the Old Testament. And the people of Israel, they were going around the wilderness. They had defeated some major armies, but they're still stuck in the wilderness. And there was a king named Balak, and Balak was trying to figure out a way to defeat The armies of Israel, but he had seen that they had already defeated two great armies and his army in the natural could beat them. But he all of a sudden realized this people is not, they're not a natural people. They're a supernatural people. And so he decides to hire this guy named Balaam to go and to put a curse on the people. The problem is Balaam had just recently switched over and come to faith in Jehovah But he still had a lot of worldly ways in him. And so he was offered a lot of money to do this. And as you read it on out, you can study it on out on your own, that he tries three times to go ahead and put a curse on the people of Israel, but he can't do it. Every time he speaks, blessing comes out. He just can't seem to do it. And so here we see this story where he's trying to wrestle with this. He wants to go and get the money. But he's also struggling with trying to hear God's voice of whether he should and whether he can do that or not. And so at one point, God says, fine, if you want to go, go ahead. Just go ahead. You're going to do what you're going to do. And so Balaam goes ahead. He gets on his donkey. He begins to go and to go up to this mountain where he's going to try to put a curse on the people of God of whom he actually is one of them, believe it or not. So we find this story in Numbers chapter 22, verse 21. I'm just going to read some of it. I don't have it on the screen, so you can use your imagination. So kids with us this morning, use your imagination. Uh, verse 21. So as he's going along, God's anger was kindled because he went. Balaam's like, what? You said I could go. No, just you just, you went because you were going to go anyway. And And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. So Get the picture. He's riding on the donkey. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, which is actually Jesus in the Old Testament, is standing in front of the way, blocking the way. And the donkey, so he's riding on an animal. The donkey actually sees in the spirit what Balaam can't see in the spirit. And so the donkey actually sees this, this is kind of a, it is a crazy story in the Bible, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand, and the donkey turned aside and tries to get out of the way and went into the field. But Balaam, he's a carnal Christian, He's a fleshly Christian, so he's, he starts beating the donkey because he wants to have his way anyway. How many of you guys have ever done this in your life before? You know you know what God wants, but at the same time, you're fighting against it, and you're fighting against it. That's what's happening with Balaam. He struck his donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on either side. So he kind of gets in a narrow path. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she, she pushed against the wall and pressed against Balaam's foot against the wall. And so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn. So now it's, it's kind of a funnel. Now there's nowhere else to go. And he stood in the narrow place where there's no way to turn to the either, either the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down. She just sat down. So the donkey is smarter than Balaam right now and lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now here's where it gets interesting. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, "What have I done to you and you've struck me these 3 times?" So the donkey God opens the donkey's mouth the donkey's the only one seeing spiritual things at this point. And he begins to talk through the donkey to Balaam and, and begins to have this conversation. Now, what's interesting to me is, is not only did the donkey speak, but look what happens next. Uh, and Balaam said to the donkey, Balaam just starts having a conversation. So Balaam goes back and says to the donkey, well, it's because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And so the donkey comes back and says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you in this way? And so Balaam's like, well, no, I guess not. So the donkey is like reasoning with Balaam's common sense here. Like, what have I done? I've been a faithful donkey to you all these times. So why are you beating me right now? And, and it says, then the angel of the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and he fell on his face. If you go to the end of the story, or verse 38, Balaam says to, uh, to Balak, the, the king who hired him, Behold, I've come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything but the word that God has put in my mouth? That's what I've got to speak. What we see here is a very strange example of prophecy happening. And I'm using an extreme example just to get you to see the picture I want you to see this morning. That God actually spoke through a donkey because Balaam wasn't listening to the voice of the Lord. Now this is a strange example, but how many of you guys have some donkeys in your life? And many times God is trying to speak to us, but we're unwilling to listen. And because we're unwilling to listen, this is the negative example, but sometimes God will even use someone that you consider a donkey to come and to speak into your life, and they are actually able to see more spiritual things than you are. Sometimes we get in these situations in life where we're just going our own way and doing our own thing, and God has put people in the body of Christ to speak things to us, we're going to see what prophecy actually is. But, but here's the point I want you to get right from the beginning, and just kind of Just to check yourself before we go any further. If we don't pay attention to what God is saying through others, we might miss what God God wants to do in us. If we think that we are the only ears that God will, will speak to in our life, we may miss what God wants to do in our life. Why? Because God has strategically designed the body of Christ to function as a team. That's what these gifts we've been looking at, that's what they're all about. They're all about saying that God, will, God won't give you everything you need all the time. God wants you to interact with other people because God wants us to be a community of people. He wants to bring encouragement from somebody else because he, he doesn't want you just to be individualistic in an island all to yourself where everything you need comes from you. He wants to use the body of Christ in, in all these different ways. And if we don't pay attention to what God is saying through other people, we may miss what God wants to do in us. God still speaks today. God still speaks today. The Bible says that Jesus said, my sheep hear me, they know my voice. If you are one of God's sheep or one of God's kids, you already hear God's voice. God may be speaking in so many ways that you, you, you may be surprised how many ways God, ways God has already spoken to you. But we just don't pay attention. We're kind of like Balaam. We've got our mindset, and we we need to ask God to open our eyes. Can we just do that right now? Would you guys just just close your eyes for just a second for the purpose of in the natural shutting off what we see? And God, we just ask that you would open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears to help us to see more and to hear more of what you're doing in the spirit and not just in our own natural eyes. Amen. So the question is, when we talk about a prophecy or a prophetic word, how do you know if what someone is speaking is actually a prophetic word? How do you know? Well, I'm going to hone in mainly on the gift of prophecy, not talking about Old Testament prophecies or or the, the fivefold gift. I'm talking about the gift of prophecy that we've seen used here. And so I'm going to use that and hone in on that. First thing is this, it never contradicts God's word. And and it will always inject a faith response in you. It'll always inject a faith response for you. But first of all, let me give you three things. One is this, prophecy adds value. Prophecy always adds value. It values the person and brings something of value to the person. Prophecy always values the church, if it's in a church setting, and always brings value to the church. Prophecy is not going to take away. Prophecy is going to add value of some way, shape, or form. And so here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue or a prayer language or a language they don't know, gifted by the Spirit, should pray that he might interpret. And remember the context of this chapter. Paul is specifically talking about what life looks like in a church service. He's not talking about what life looks like in all of life. He's specifically addressing kind of some boundaries for what it looks like in the church and why. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. So what am I to do? He's talking again in church. I'll pray with my mind, with my spirit and I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing with my spirit and I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? If I came in here and spoke a language nobody knew, how could you say amen to that? You don't know whether I'm saying horrible things about you or talking about your mom or anything, you know, you don't know. You can't say, yeah, that's good. He's saying there's got to be a way for us to understand to build everybody else up. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. One of the main inferences that's going on in this chapter is that if there's not an interpretation in tongues or speaking in tongues, and I know some of you guys may be new to this. Uh, you may be kind of worried. What is he talking about? those of you guys who aren't, he's not talking. The main inference is this. If you're speaking in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation if it's a public thing happening. Otherwise, what's the point? It's better to prophesy. It's better to say five, it's better to say intelligible words than than all these things that don't make sense to anybody else. And so the, the main point is this. Publicly in church, tongues is never the win. Let me say that again. Publicly, from the platform or whatever. In church, speaking in tongues to everyone is never the win. The interpretation is the win. Prophecy is the win. Why? Because it's about building everyone else up. So God may use that as a a a trail or train tracks to get to the interpretation, but the tongues aren't the win. The interpretation is the win in a public setting because that's the point of what's going on. 1 Corinthians 14, verse three, back up again. Let's look at what prophecy is. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So how do you know if there's a prophetic word being spoken? Prophecy adds value. If someone came to you and said, I I have a, a word for you. I have a prophetic word for you. And here's the prophetic word. You're gonna have seven really bad days in a row. Your teeth are gonna fall out. Your mom's not gonna like you six months from now. You're gonna get in a car accident. That's probably not from God. <laughs> God will sometimes give us warnings and certain things, but God never takes away or, demi- or, or brings harm through a word to us. It says right here that God is going that, that prophecy is upbuilding, it's encouragement and consolation. Now, when I say prophecy adds value. Has there ever been a time in your life when you got corrected by somebody and it added value to your life? Yeah. Sometimes I might get somebody to speak something corrective to me that's not a negative to me, it's actually adding to me. Is everybody following me? Sometimes I can get a warning that's actually adding to me instead of taking away. So I don't just mean that prophecy is all flowery and, and positive, even though it should, should have that air, it should have love about it, but, but prophetic word always adds value. That word upbuilding lit, in the Greek literally means making more able. If someone speaks publicly right now in a prophetic word, it ought to make you more able for whatever God has for your life. If someone has a word for you, it ought to make you more able for whatever God has put in your life. Years ago, when I was a teenager, I was at some youth conference or something, and someone was speaking like I'm speaking right now. And all of a sudden, they spoke a prophetic word. I mean, a prophetic word is something that has something on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all of a sudden, when it's spoken, you just could you feel it in a way you didn't feel. Every other word, you hadn't felt. And he spoke this word, don't ever limit God. And it just broke through like like a storm on the inside of me just went off. A bomb went off on the inside of me. It was just something, it was a right now word for me. I wrote that in my Bible. This is my Bible actually from back then. This is this is a well-used Bible, right? You ought to have Bibles that look like I've got several Bibles that look like this. And I wrote that right here in the back that day. And I've got, don't ever limit God. And it just, oh, it was a prophetic right now word is exactly what I needed to hear. It added value. It brought something, a new dimension to my walk with God. And that's what God does. God does that to us. How many of you guys know that God always adds value to you? God's never going to take away something to try to diminish or make you less. God is always going to add value. The second thing that a prophetic word does is this. Prophecy speaks to who we can be. Prophecy speaks to what is possible. Prophecy speaks to your potential. God always speaks to what you can be, doesn't he? God would never speak a word that would frustrate you. God always speaks to what you can be. God always speaks to what we can become. Most of the time when God is speaking to what we can become, it's simply trying to encourage us to become and walk out what we already are in Christ. So if someone ever comes to you with a prophet, listen, let me give you just a little equipping. How you guys desire to operate in, in prophecy? The Bible tells us to, so it ought to be all of us. If you desire that, I love what Chris Valentin says about this. He says, the goal of prophecy, of the gift of prophecy, is to bring out the best in people. It's to bring out, it's to mine the gold among the dirt. And sometimes whenever God shows you something about other people, you're gonna see a lot of bad stuff about other people sometimes. You're gonna see, man, there's some problems here. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of negative things going on. And he says, ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment, not just about the negative things going on, not so you could prophesy the problem, but give you the answer so you can prophesy the answer to them. So if, someone is, if, if someone's dealing with pornography, for example, you don't just go up and say, man, you're horrible. Stop it. Just knock it off. Just don't. God may change that around to where God gives you the word to them that says something like this, that, that I believe God is walking you into a new season of purity and holiness in your life. That's a right now word for you. Let God work all that other stuff out. And so when we do that, we begin to release grace in their life to break bondages. We begin to prophesy the solution, not just the problem. I think that's good stuff. But God always speaks to what we can be. If you're hearing a voice in your, in your private walk with God even right now, if you're hearing voices that are speaking to, you, to what you are not, that's not God. If you're currently hearing voices right now, hearing words in your life, having other people telling you what you are not, that's not God. God always speaks to what you can be, not to what you are not. I saw this strange movie the other day. Uh, How many of you guys are sci-fi weirdos? Okay, you shouldn't have raised your hand so quick because I had that adjective there. Okay, how many of you guys love sci-fi stuff, okay? Uh, Nobody's raising their hand now. Surprise. I set you up, and then I, I just tore you down, just like I said not to do. Here I watched this movie the other day, and it, you know, always sci-fi stuff's about aliens and all sorts of stuff. So this, this person meets, uh, somehow gets this, this power from an alien or something, and, and now all of a sudden time is opened up and where there's no time. Like you can kind of just, time just is opened up and overlapping. And, and all this, it was a weird thing. It was very interesting. It's kind of, I love those little mind games to try to figure out what's going on in the movie and stuff. And so basically what could happen is, is that all of a sudden since time was opened up, she could see what was happening in the future to get answers for what she was going to do in the present so she could go in, in and just see this and to see the answer and ask somebody a question down the road for a problem and then she could walk that out and have the answers to that now so she could get specific pieces of information I thought wow isn't that a small picture of what prophecy is because God exists outside of time for God time is open God sees the whole thing. The Bible says from the beginning, it sees the ending from the beginning. God sees all of time at the same time. God has every answer. This ought to encourage somebody this morning. God has the answer to the problem you're facing right now. And God, since he sees the solution, he could give it to you right now, even though you wouldn't come to it according to your own natural means until maybe years from now. God can give you the answer right now because time is open with God. God may show someone, this is a supernatural God we serve, he may show someone a solution for your future and share that with you right now. Does anybody believe that can happen? Okay, I'm just making sure that I'm talking to believers who believe the word of God, because that's what the word of God describes happening here. Okay, so we see that God exists outside of time and he sees it and God speaks into our now what will be. God speaks into our now what will be. Now here's what I love about God. God meets us where we are. But God treats us like what we will be. You may be a wreck right now. God will meet you where you are. But here's the great thing about God. He doesn't treat you where you are. He meets you where you are and he treats you as what you will be. Has anybody ever gone to a fancy hotel or something before? Or maybe you went on a, a vacation and all of a sudden somebody's carrying your bags, parking your car for you, you know, just putting fancy towels in your room. I mean, also, just have you guys ever had that experience before where you're just like, wow, this is great. I feel like royalty right now. And for the next week, I'm going to just pretend that I'm like some sort of king. Yeah, bring me another, uh, you know, plate of food or a drink or, you know, give me one of those umbrellas. Yeah, wait on me hand and foot. How many of you guys love that? Anybody love that? And then you have to go back to the dirty dishes at home After and reality hits and the kids have peanut butter all over their face and all over your couch. But for a moment, you were royalty. Can I just tell you that's how God treats you? You're stuck in your sin. You say, well, but I'm not very loving right now. You know what God treats you? He treats you as royalty right now. So I've got a lot of anger in my life. You know what? God treats you not, not, he doesn't treat you where you are. He treats you as what you will be. He treats you as royalty right now. God speaks to who you can be, to who you are. That's what God does. He speaks to what you will be. Now God's, here's what I know. You say, well, well, I don't feel that way right now. I don't feel equipped to live the way that God is treating me right now. Here's what I know. God's will is always possible. And if God speaks something into your life, it's possible for it to happen. God's not going to speak something into your heart, into your life that's not possible for it to happen. God's will is always possible. And God will give you a picture of what will happen for the purpose of you walking it out to make it happen. There's many times I will see things in advance as I'm praying for the service. I'll see certain things happening in the service. God shows me that in advance, not so I can just say, wow, that was like a cool thought. No, so I can walk it out. There may be so many times that God is showing you things in your life and he's showing you what will be, not for the purpose of you to think, well, that was, that'd be neat if that happened. No, for the purpose of you to walk that out. God always speaks to what you can be. Number three, Prophecy gives us something to hold on to. Has there ever been a time in your life, I shouldn't even have to ask this question, has there ever been a time in your life where you just felt like there was a storm all around? You're like, man, the wind is blowing, the storm is happening, I just need something to hold on to. Something, because it just seems like the world is spinning. God will many times give people a prophetic right now word in the midst of a storm as something to hold on to when all the circumstances look different. Like, I know the circumstances say this, but God says, I'm going to make it to the other side. That was a right now word for me. And you hang on to that with everything you've got. God will give you a prophetic word many times through other people as something to hold on. How many of you guys would have ever had that happen before? I've had that happen before. We're in the midst of a storm. I mean, God gave me somebody, through somebody else, said, said words of life to me, and I held on to them like they were everything. And God uses it that way. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brothers, if, you come, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless I bring some sort of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? He was saying, he's not saying that speaking in tongues are bad. He's saying, do that. In fact, he says, mainly do that outside of church. Do that in your private prayer life. He said, in church, I'll I'll speak just a little bit, but outside I speak all the time. So that's what he's, he's suggesting here. But he's also inferring that a prophetic word will be like a bugle that sounds you ready for battle. It'll be something distinct. It'll be something right now. It'll be something God equips you to prepare you for battle. It becomes like a handle, something you can hold on to in the midst of the storm. It becomes something strategic. It can be a go-to. It can be a symbol of what God wants to happen. It can be a point of faith. It can be like the hem of the garment. They say, if I can just hang on, if I can just touch, then my miracle is going to happen. It can be a container for your faith. That's why we're supposed to desire that, to pursue that, to be a part of that. Here's a question. You say, I don't necessarily need that or want that in my life right now. Well, there may be somebody sitting next to you who needs that or wants that in their life. We have to be open. God may want to speak to you or he may want to speak through you. And I shared this story not too long ago but I'll share it again because it gives just an illustration. When I was a teenager, we went to this missions trip in Detroit Michigan. And and we were ministering in all of these uh, poor neighborhoods and complexes and all sorts of things. It was a dangerous area. And there was a broken down church with a black pastor there who was trying to just keep things going. And we were trying to renovate and and help things out there. And there was a church service that happened during that time. and, And as we had a church service, there was a time where he had a prophetic word for me. And he he began to speak to me and to pour into me. He said, one day you're going to preach to multitudes of people. And he began to just pour into me and pour into me. You know what that was? At the time, I didn't have any reason to believe that. But what was it? Adding value, speaking into what I could be, and giving me a handle to hold on to. And so throughout the years of my teenage years, I began to hang on to that. And I would go back to that. Here I am, 39 years old, and I still remember that like it was yesterday because it became something that I held on to and it spoke into my potential, it spoke into those things. And I always wonder, what if he didn't have the courage or the obedience or the willingness or the listening ears to speak that out that one day years and years ago? Could God have done it in another way? Sure, he could have. But I just wonder, and I don't even know that guy, but what if he had not had the courage to do that? And I just wonder who's waiting on you this morning. Who might be waiting on you this morning to get the courage, to have the listening ears to to pour out to someone else? So prophetic word, We're, we're, we're to desire to prophesy. Anyone who is saved and filled with the spirit can operate in the spiritual gifts. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 31, for you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. You may be sitting here this morning and say, Sean, I've never experienced what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never had God just download something to me or for me to give out like a right now spontaneous thought from God. I've, I've never seen a picture of those. I've never had someone speak into that way, into me in any real way. And so my question to you would be this, are you saved? Okay, if you can check that box. Then the second thing is this, have you been filled with the Spirit? You say, well, I thought we we had all of the Holy Spirit at salvation. Well, I don't know where you you read that because that's not what the Bible says. We we get the Holy Spirit because he's part of the Trinity, but we don't get all of the Holy Spirit or we wouldn't be encouraged to seek more. We don't get all or we wouldn't be encouraged to seek more. So I'm going to use the rest of the time just to, to share something I share at Discover the Journey class week two, just a little brief thing for those of you guys who haven't caught that or maybe will catch that. You'll hear this again in a couple weeks. But I, I want to deal with an assumption that many people make. And the assumption is this, and I'm going to put it the way Robert Morris puts it. And the assumption is this, assumption about the Holy Spirit, the assumption that we only get baptized once. It's the assumption we only get baptized once. And Let me just show it to you in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was, in, was at Corinth that Paul passed through the inland com- country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Can everybody say disciples? All right. Just make sure we're on the same page. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling them that they should believe in the one who has come after them. That is Jesus. And so that's salvation. Believing in Jesus. That's salvation. You get that? Just note that in your mind. And so uh, on hearing this, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That this is actually water baptized. They were water baptized there in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then... When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. The Two things we see in 1 Corinthians 14. So the disciples made an assumption in Acts chapter 19 that I only need to be baptized once. And in fact, we see three different things happen in this small little passage of Scripture. Three different baptisms. One, One, the Spirit baptizes us into Jesus, into the body. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read the scripture again in verse 13 it says the holy spirit baptized us into the body of christ that's that's my note right there and then under that we see the scripture we see for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body so we were baptized into one body by the spirit jews are greeks slaves are free we we're all made to drink of one spirit so that's the spirit baptizing us into the body that was what happened there at john's baptism Uh, and that he talked about there. Number two, a disciple baptizes us in water. That's water baptized. Many of us have been water baptized where you got dunked or whatever, however it happened to you. You're in a lake, you're in a a tub, a bathtub, whatever it was. We've been water baptized. Number three, Jesus baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. You may be sitting here saying this morning, well, I haven't heard about this. Well, it's all through the gospels. I don't know why. We read the Gospels and we skip right over this. Matthew chapter 3 even says it real real plainly. John says this I baptize you with water for repentance. He's talking about salvation and water baptism. But he who's coming after me, which is Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is distinct from salvation and water baptism. How you guys can see that that? It, it's distinct. It's separated, even in the Gospels. We're not even to the book of Acts yet, and it's already being parsed out as separate from what's happening through salvation and water baptism. So I'm, I'm in teaching mode right now. I hope you're staying with me. We see three things. We see salvation, we see water baptism, and then we see spirit baptism. So let's go to another place in Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight verse 12. But when they had believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, how many of you guys can see that they were saved right there? Salvation happened. They believed in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I get a show of hands? If we can see that, okay, some of you guys aren't with me. That's all right. Okay, read it on your own. All right, they were saved. They believed in the name of Jesus Christ. What else do you need to do to be saved? Well, the second thing that they did was they were baptized. Okay, so they, they were baptized, they believed. Now they were baptized, both men and women. How you guys can clearly see that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they have been water baptized. Am I on the same page? Everybody on the same page. Clearly see. They've been saved. They've got baptism one, spirit into the body. Number two, they've been water baptized by a disciple. Two things right there that just happened. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now, word gets back to Jerusalem. There's a lot of people down there who just got saved and baptized. And they're like, okay, that's great, that's great, but but there's something else needs to happen here. It says, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down, and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen on any of them. Again, they were saved and water baptized. Everybody with me? But as yet, they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Some distance had happened between the time they were saved and water baptized. And from the time they get this filling of the Holy Spirit. He came down to pray that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys are seeing clearly what's being laid out here in Scripture? Is anybody? Okay, throw your tradition out the door and let's go to the Bible. Because we're all about the Bible. Is anybody all about the Scriptures here? All right. Who cares what your denomination said or what what, what, what your tradition said? Let's go back to the Bible and let's see what does the Bible say. Okay, so this is what the Bible says. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. My conclusion from these two passages of Scripture and from the separation we saw in Matthew chapter 3 is this, that many believers may be saved and water baptized and still not filled with the Spirit. According to what the Bible teaches. You may be saved and water baptized. You are probably like, yeah, I thought I got everything I needed at salvation. Well, evidently something else happens evidently there's something more that we're to desire and so many believers have been saved and water baptized and if peter and john and the apostles heard about it they may say you know what we need to send some people there to get them filled with the spirit isn't that what they would say they've only been saved and water baptized okay so uh this is such a popular message i'm so glad i decided to preach on this it's a good thing it's labor day weekend so nobody show up okay First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If we got it all at once, there's nothing more to desire. If we got it all at once, there's nothing more to desire. Scripture is clear that something happens after salvation or can happen. Is there anybody here that wants all that God has for you? Do you? Just making sure. We need to be those disciples that want all that God has for you. You say, Well, is this really for me, though? Maybe it was just for them. Maybe it was just for them. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter preaches this great sermon, day of Pentecost, tongues of fire on their head. You guys, many of you guys know the story. If not, go back and read it. He gets done preaching this sermon. This whole crowd is like, Wow! Heard about Jesus, the cross, saw this miraculous power of the Holy Spirit verse 37. Now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here we see. Can you guys follow me see that the three distinct things. Repent and be baptized because we know that, that believing and baptism aren't simultaneously all the time. Have you guys believed in Jesus and then sometime later you got water baptized anybody? At what point were you saved? When you believed? We follow in baptism because that's what Jesus told us to do. But were you saved when you believed? Yes, absolutely. So we see repent. So then, after repentance, hopefully, really soon, you get water baptized. So we see that second thing repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you guys believe if we just stopped there, they'd have salvation and baptism? Have you guys can see that? All right. But he doesn't stop there. Because there's a comma. That comma is very important. There's a comma, and that means something else, right? I'm not a grammar whatever, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that means more, something. And you you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see all of them separated out just like that again. Then he goes on in verse 39. He says this. He, he begins to tell, who is this spirit baptism for? Of course, we know salvation's for anyone and all generations to follow. How many of you guys would agree with that? For, and now until Jesus comes. How many of you guys believe water baptism is, is for then, all the way until Jesus comes, right? to so do that. All right, so here we go. Why, why would we leave this third thing off and say it just stopped then? But let's see what Peter says about this. He says, "The promise in verse 39, the promise, which is the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he talked about. The promise is for you. And he was talking specifically to those people on the day of Pentecost. And he says, the promise, this gift is just for you guys. And after you guys get this filling of the Holy Spirit, no one else is ever going to get it. Is that what he said? No, he said, it is for you. It is for you. But then he goes on, he says, it's for you and for your children. All of your, your kids over in, in kids' church right now, guys, and he was talking to those people on the day, all of your kids over there, they're going to be able to get down this too. All of the kids that you will eventually have, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit power, this baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to them too. But then after that, we're cutting off the faucet, we're shutting it down. Is that what he said? He says, it's for you. It is for your children also. He says, it's for all who are far off. He says, everybody who's alive on the planet right now, it doesn't matter if they're here on this day in, the, in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if, if they're alive anywhere on the planet right now. It doesn't matter what point on the planet. It's for them because it's only for today. It's only for this day. It's only for this generation. It's only as long as we apostles are alive, and then it's going to be shut off. That's, that's not what he said, though. He said, it's, it is for you. It is for your kids. It's for anyone who's anywhere on the planet right now. And he goes on. And for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Is God still calling people to himself today? That would mean that not only did salvation continue, water baptism continues, but spirit baptism continues. Is everybody seeing that through the scripture? Okay, I'm just making sure we're all on the same page here because that's what I see clearly through scripture. As many as the Lord would call, it wasn't just for the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just for the New Testament church. It comes and it pours out as long as God is still calling people and God's calling people all the way up into eternity. So here's my question for you. You may be saved. You may be water baptized. But can you... Think to an experience when maybe you were spirit baptized. Can you identify that? For some, it might have happened really close to salvation. For others, it never happened sadly. For others, it, it, yeah, they have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. But they don't get baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means what we're talking about here. We're something, an empowerment from God. And you say, well, I don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit This may be why. In fact, I would say this is why. Because you're not going to be able to do this without the empowerment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I believe. You could could have received God's grace and still not be walking in God's power. And so many people, Christians, believers, have received God's grace. They've been saved and water baptized. And they aren't walking in the gifts of the Spirit. They aren't walking in the power of God. But Scripture clearly says to earnestly desire these things. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Luke chapter eleven, verse thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Be- being filled with the Holy Spirit is just like salvation. We receive by faith; it's a gift. Have you guys can see that salvation's a gift? We receive by faith. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a gift we receive by faith. We simply ask God. We simply receive. I'm going to close up with this, have the worship team come back up. Uh, there was a minister who was getting ready to have a series of meetings in England and some time ago, and some elderly pastor protested and, and said, Why do we need this guy to come? He's uneducated. He's inexperienced. He's a younger guy. Why do we need him to come? Does he think he has a, a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a a wiser, more experienced guy said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. That's the kind of people we need to be. So you know what? The Holy Spirit has not just a compartmentalized portion of me, but he has all of me. I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, I am like a sunken ship. That word baptism means, in, in like if you get baptized in water, this is why we baptize and we immerse people in water, because the Bible says to fully dip. It means to be immersed like a sunken ship. Whenever you are immersed like a sunken ship in the power of the Holy Spirit, don't you believe that supernatural things would start to just ooze out a little bit? I mean, if you get filled up with not, not knowledge, not theory, not doctrine, but power, wouldn't that come out a little bit? Does anybody desire that this morning? Anybody desire that? We ought to desire it. That's what this chapter says. It's not going to get, if you've been around Journey, we're, we're not crazy. We're not doing a bunch of, you know, crazy things in the service. Why? Because there's a certain order. Because we, what we're doing right now is probably one of the most appropriate things we could do to build up all But there are specific times when there'll be a moment where a gift of the Spirit would be used to benefit all, and we're open to that. But you ought to be using the gifts of the Spirit in everyday life, much more than just in the church. That's, in fact, probably the better place to use them is in your friendships, your relationships, your places of work, and just to be led by the Spirit, to hear the voice of God, to have a right-now word for a coworker. That's what we desire. We ought to desire the spiritual gifts. Would you stand up with me? I want to have our worship, or our, our prayer ministry teams come down at this time. I'm doing it at this time. I don't know what song you have prepared, but if, if you can make sure it's not overly loud <laughs> so we can have a time. If you feel like just staying where you're at and worshiping the Lord, that's great. I encourage you to do that. If, uh, if you feel like, man, I, I need to get saved. I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> we, I invite you to come down and to, to pray with, with some of our people. If you say, I, I don't know. I, I can think of when I've been saved. I can think of when I've, I, I was water baptized, but I don't know if I've been filled with the Spirit. And I just want to ask the Lord to fill me with the Spirit. If that's you, I want to invite you to come down during this time or right after the service as well. And and we'll pray with you. I know we don't have a lot of time, but it doesn't take a lot of time, does it? Richie, would you come down to just to be available? I know you got a, a lot of kids back there, so. but I need some help on this side over here. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray, and I'd like to, you can come forward for any, if you need healing or whatever, I encourage you to come forward. Uh, but we're just gonna take just a moment and pray for you if, if you do that. The Bible says there's something powerful about laying on of hands. And so that's, there's nothing weird about that. It's just simply a point of faith. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, we just ask right now. Many here in this room may need to be filled with the spirit, may need to be saved, may need a healing, may need prayer and of comfort or whatever. Lord, we just thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you always add value into our life. You always speak into what we can be and you, treat a, you meet us where we are, but you treat us where we will be. Lord, we thank you that you can give us that word to hang on to. And Lord, we claim that today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want prayer, please come down right now. We'll pray for you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.